Welcome everyone to a brand new episode of the Preventive Medicine Podcast. Um, and before we get into this episode, I just want to say if you're clicking to this episode from our mailing list, then thank you for signing up to our mailing list. We're trying to make that a huge priority right now. So if you are not already signed up, please head over to our website at thepreventivemedicinepodcast.com and you can sign up for a mailing list there. And with that, let's get into the episode. Overcoming saber-toothed tigers and woolly mammoths, we must now face a new enemy, ourselves. With the rates of diseases such as heart disease, stroke, diabetes, depression, and many others ballooning, we must find a better solution to these modern epidemics. Welcome to the Preventive Medicine Podcast. We believe in building a foundation of health by means of prevention so that you can build the life you want and find fulfillment with no barriers. Hear from experts around the country on how to take your health into your hands. Take control and build a foundation of health for the life that you want to live. And now here's your hosts, Jason Garrett and Raghav Sharma. Welcome everyone to a brand new episode. This is the first episode where we're actually just doing solo episodes. So it's just me today, just Raghav, and we're here with a very special guest. Um, this is Ryan Nosak, and he is actually someone that I've trained with in the past. He was a past uh, training buddy of mine. And also, interestingly, he's also a former obese kid. Um, and he started working out the gym when he was 15, ended up falling in love with it, went down the rabbit hole. He got his undergrad degree in kinesiology um, from Penn State, got a master's in sports management from Western Carolina. And since then, he's kind of been all over the country. He's been training uh, Division One athletes pretty much everywhere, most recently at DePaul here in Chicago. Um, and at DePaul, he was the assistant director for sports performance, was a strength and uh, conditioning coach for cross country, golf, women's soccer, track and field, and also helped out with the men's basketball team. However, for the past year or so, Ryan took a huge step. He took a step away from uh, coaching athletes and decided to start his own company called Rhino Strength, where he helps clients get healthier and stronger. So without further ado, welcome to the podcast. Raga, thanks so much for having me on here today. It's an honor and I really appreciate your introduction. Yeah, we really look forward to this. And uh, first things first, um, it's really interesting, both myself and Jason, if you guys have been listening to the podcast, we both started off as obese kids. And it seems for whatever reason that we always fall into the trap of committing ourselves for life, for helping other people with like similar issues of um, just bettering their health. So seeing that you have a very similar backstory, why did you decide to pursue strength training and ended up coaching as a career? I pursued it because it completely transformed my life. I think I'm, I, I often look back at this and I was a completely different person. It, it's almost like the BC and the, and the AD era. For me, it was like the before lifting era and the la and the after lifting era. It's really funny to think about, but I was the person growing up who had zero confidence. I felt like complete crap all the time. Um, I, I just, I wasn't happy in my own skin. And it was one of those things where I had discovered weightlifting and then I somehow got confident. I started to see my results and I was starting to see the results of my body, but also with my mindset. And that shift really got me addicted. Uh, I was never a kid who was any good at, at athletics, but being good in the weight room allowed me to become better on the sport field. It turned me into the captain of my track and field team, of my football team. 
I became a leader through this. I started teaching a lot of my classmates how to lift weights properly because I got a job at the local gym at age 15. So it really brought out all these characteristics of me that I didn't know were there before. I always look back and tell people that for me, learning to lift and and learning life inside the weight room and changing my body was a vehicle for the rest of my life. It completely helped transform my habits and all these other facets. Yeah, man, absolutely. That's an incredible story. And I can definitely sympathize with you there where I had a very similar experience where you kind of have the notion where you don't really have control of your life. Then all of a sudden you start doing something and it gives you massive control, not only on your appearance, but also on the time and effort that you're putting into it. And you're like, hey, I can control these things. So if I can do it in this aspect of my life, why can't I do it somewhere else? Next thing you know, it's just like that cascade that keeps rolling and rolling and it spills over to other parts of your life, which is why I'm such a huge proponent for getting people exercising because it just changes everything. That's why I wanted to go into this because it was one of those things where I kind of realized that if I could do it, anybody else can do it as well. Like it had nothing to do with genetics. Um, I was like the furthest thing for, I was just like the straight up, like laziest kid ever. You know what I mean? Like I could totally spend all the day on the couch, like eating potatoes and eating potato chips and doing absolutely nothing. So if I can have that transformation, I believe that I can help others do that. And then seeing that, that inspiration I had on other people in my life, as I was teaching my classmates, classmates that allowed me to pursue a dream of becoming a strength and conditioning coach. So then I wanted exactly. to go, oh, go and teach and teach athletes those lessons that I had learned. And then more recently, uh, I, I kind of was just like, you know, I, I see the state of what the country looks like. I want to go into this role where I can help general population and again, have the same effects on those that, that it, it had on myself. Oh, exactly. And this is one of the beauties of our podcast. And one of the things that we try to do is we're here to get different perspectives. I know we harp in every single episode that we try to get different perspective. And that's really what we're here to do. For those of you listening to this podcast, you are kind of used to hearing a lot of doctors, PhDs, all of those kinds of things. But a lot of times on those episodes, we talk about the other end of this, the patient or the the, uh, personal training side of this. And that's kind of where Ryan comes in here. And he has been training athletes. Now he has his own clients that are not necessarily athletes, but are just trying to get healthier. So um, we want to ask you, what does preventive medicine mean to you? For me, it's really about making humans as anti-fragile as possible. And I, I always think about how at some point, how, what, what the rising cost of healthcare looks like in this country. And at some point, all these people are probably going to be paying massive amounts of money to healthcare, to insurance and hospital bills, whatever that might be. And I don't want to have people take a reactive approach. I want to be proactive in helping people change their habits and therefore changing their lives as much as possible. So the preventative medicine to me is it's really twofold in in many aspects. Like I know it can help out the rest of society with with what I had just talked about, but also just in, in terms of helping out that individual person. We're, we're going to have way more healthier and happier souls out there if we can start having them do these things that are considered to be preventative. So that's kind of really how I approach this. You know, I just I, I take it really slow with people and I um, 
I just believe that there's, there is something out there for everybody. You know, obviously I love strength training. Maybe that's not for everybody. And we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, other aspects here today. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's how I would define it. Now I've heard the term anti-fragile before and, uh, obviously, you know, and I think it encompasses a lot of different aspects of kind of things that we talk about. We will talk about later on, but can you expand a little bit on what it means to be anti-fragile? Yeah. Like I, I don't want somebody to be afraid of, of living their life as a human. So like, if you're going to invite me to go get some donuts after our, our session in the gym, like I want to know that I'm going to be okay eating those donuts and I don't want to have to worry about like my diabetes or something like that. So, um, I, I think like in, in terms of being regular humans, there's going to be these experiences that we are going to want to do, whether it's going out to eat, having drinks with our friends. And I think we should be able to do all those types of things if we have the right movement practice. So I don't want to have people like worry about how they're living their lives because of the implications that may occur from uh, if somebody's not fit or, or, or just unhealthy markers in general. So, um, that's a big part of it for me. It's just like, I want people to live their lives, but have fitness be a part of that. Definitely. I like how you talk about the social aspect of life where you can't just box yourself in to say, nope, can't ever get donuts after a workout because it doesn't fit my, like, doesn't fit my life. I can't go get drinks. Can't hang out with you guys because it doesn't fit my life. And that's just not really something that I would think is like acceptable because social aspects and social health is a huge portion of our overall health. We've talked about this in a lot of different episodes, but on the other end of that, also being anti-fragile is like being able to just do spontaneous activities. Let's say your friends say, let's go for a hike this weekend. And if you are not up to hike, then you can also engage in that. So we've talked about it in other episodes that like, it's just being able to do what you want at that time and just having the general level of fitness to be able to accomplish what you want in life. Yeah, I really like that approach. Yeah. And uh, you discussed a little bit earlier, you mentioned the differences between strength training and conditioning. And I know you have a CSCS, which is certified strength and conditioning coach, right? What does it stand for exactly? Yeah, certified uh, strength and conditioning specialist. Specialist. There we go. So what is the difference between those two conditioning and strength training? Yeah, huge one. And I, I think we're in like a society right now where where everybody thinks of working out as like how many calories I'm burning per session instead of like what the overall effects and adaptations that, are, that, that may occur as both of those things. So what I always tell people is that like when we're strength training, there's going to be long term effects and there's going to be effects that occur when you're just resting. Whereas also like conditioning, you are going to have effects that are occurring on the heart, uh, our cardiorespiratory system, but the, the calories that you're burning in that moment may only be occurring in that moment. Rather, if I can get somebody to strength train, there's a likelihood that they may be able to burn more calories at rest. So I think it's really important that we also talk about the role that muscle mass has on the association with adiposity as well. So like if we look at the research done with what's actually done with sumo wrestlers, and I think it's some linemen as well, that these are some big giant humans, right? Like they're 300, 400 pounds. They're, they carry a lot of fat tissue, but they're actually metabolically healthy because of how much muscle mass they have as well.
So like when I think about people becoming anti-fragile, I think about how much muscle mass they have in their frame as well. And I know that if I can put more muscle mass on somebody, I'm probably going to allow them to become healthier. I'm going to allow them to have a little more carbs and they can have a little more foods that they want to have in their life and their in their um in their normal day to day. So I, I think that's a really important part of things for people as well. That like if I get somebody to strength train, I'm I'm probably going to allow them to have a decreased likelihood of if they do have a large amount of fat, if that's going to make them unhealthy. Um, but as well as that, I'm going to allow somebody to burn more calories at rest. Definitely. And I want to ask you though, if someone just starts strength training, does this mean they don't have to do any conditioning? It's just like a get out of jail ticket where you can say, Oh, I have a lot of muscle on me. I can do whatever I want. Don't have to do any cardio, no conditioning. I'm good to go. No, no, not at all. And I don't want to, I don't want that to be a, um, a message that I'm sending here either. Um, the aerobic side of conditioning as well is a huge component of overall health and longevity as well. I think that some of the current research has shown that the top three indicators for longevity are the amount of muscle mass vo2 max and grip strength for humans as well so like that vo2 max will come from the conditioning side of things so it absolutely is an important role but i i, I often think that in today's society we only love to glamorize the the conditioning workouts workouts that you see on social media whereas you know people maybe they're wearing their apple watch during a strength training session and they're thinking hey i'm not burning as many calories like you really shouldn't worry about the many calories that you're burning during that session but worry about what the muscle mass is doing for your frame and your overall health over the course of a long term Exactly. I think there's kind of two approaches here where you have the subset of people that kind of thinking of working out is just burning calories. So it's kind of like the in versus out equation. So let's say they go eat two or three donuts. That means maybe 900 to a thousand calories of eaten, assuming the Krispy Kreme, something like that. Not one of those decadent donuts, but now they go to uh, their workout. Let's say they go to a hit class, whatever they had their little watch on that says I burn 1000 calories. Great. I'm at zero. And those people just continue to kind of have that similar approach throughout and throughout, but they're not necessarily investing into themselves. Whereas you have the other people who have the mindset of let's go to the gym. We're going to do some heavy weights today. We're going to do some resistance training and we're going to add some muscle. They might not necessarily be looking at the calories. They're not thinking, oh, I burned off those three donuts. They're thinking I have some muscle, so I'll be able to just like sustain a little bit more invest in myself eventually. And then in the next like three years, they'll be able to eat three donuts as a pre-workout and not really think about it and use that to fuel them. Um, so those are kind of the two approaches. And do you see, have you seen, or do you think there's any difference between those two in terms of health and preventive medicine? Yeah, I, I think the first example that you used isn't necessarily the most healthy approach because it almost kind of could create like a binge restrict cycle or like an exercise as punishment cycle. And that's like the last message that I want to send to anybody. I wouldn't want to say, Hey, like you ate, you ate, you know, three slices of pizza last night. Like we got to do an extra 30 rounds on our assault bike today. Right? Like that's not, that's not what I want in there. I think the, the second example that you gave where we we've been consistently strength training for a while, we can eat that food and it's not going to have a large impact on you. That's ideally what I'm going for, for most people. So like, I don't necessarily sell people on the eat less 
move more strategy, I want to sell people on eat more, move more over time. How do I accomplish that early on? I want people eating a lot of mostly unprocessed foods coming from whole food based sources. We're going to be resistance training at least twice a week. And then I instruct people, uh, I educate people on NEAT, so non-exercise activity thermogenesis, just getting steps throughout the gym or getting daily activity throughout the gym or th- in addition to the gym. But ideally, the more muscle mass that we have, the more energy that we can pull through the system, whether it be through cardio or through HIT, the, the better and, and healthier these people are going to be. Definitely. And we know that, um, people are going to train and it's not necessarily the hardest part is getting them to like be at the workout, but maybe it's starting the workout and it's just getting themselves in a position where they're ready to, uh, do exercise, do whatever it is, eat better, just make some sort of change. Right. So throughout your career, whether it's athletes or whether it's just uh, general clients now, have you noticed that there are any particular methods or strategies that seem to work better into like getting people to do some things? I do. And how I accomplish this with the, the wide variety that I've seen throughout my time, I, I've been on multiple ends of the spectrum. I've been with division one athletes who are the cream of the crop. And just this morning, I'm training one of my clients who's uh, a 60 year old female who never really spent any time in athletics. So for me, it's awesome that I can see both of these camps and be successful with both of them. And it all comes down to relationships and communication. I think the biggest thing is to complete motivational interviewing with people. So figure out what's important to these individuals, figure out what their why is, and then direct the training or direct how you are communicating what your goals are for that person based upon what they're telling you. So if my, if my female client is worried about uh, muscle mass decreasing or a risk of fall, everything that I es- essentially promote to her is going to be based around that. If I have a client who maybe wants to still crush beers on the weekend, but look pretty good, you know, I'm going to figure out ways to, to, to gear his training to where I think that he's able to maybe do some of those things. Maybe he's not gonna be able to drink as much beer as he wants. Maybe we have to figure out a way to bring that back down, but I'm still going to kind of allow him to get a little bit of that life that he still wants. Uh, I think with athletes, athletes don't always love to lift weights, you know, like they're, they're experts in their sport. They're experts on the field, but they're, they weren't experts in the weight room. So how can you promote the weight room to how it's going to help improve their sport. And that's another way of how psychological tactics or or motivational interviewing came to help out. Um, It often happens with females. You know, females are still unfortunately afraid of lifting weights and I just have to do a good job of educating, but then building that relationship, knowing that I have their best interests in mind and the training that we're doing is directed towards their goals. Absolutely. I love that. Um, it's kind of like that goal directed patient care. So when you think of physicians and patients, a lot of times patient might come in and they are just like, okay, what are we doing here? And a physician kind of just gives their own goals for that patient. They're like, okay, you need to do this, 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 this. And the patient's like, 
uh, okay. And then they leave and nothing happens. Whereas what we've kind of, I've started seeing as a medical student is if you ask the patient, what are you here for? What are you, what are your goals? And then you can kind of tailor your entire discussion with them, that patient physician relationship towards that. You get a lot better buy-in and response from them. So it's kind of the same thing that you're saying right there, where you ask the clients, whether it's an athlete, a general 60 year old grandma, whoever it is, what are your goals and kind of address it to them. And then now they know, Oh, I'm going to this, I'm going to Ryan for this. I'm going to go train today because I want to do this instead of the trainer superimposing their own goals saying, I want every client of mine to have a six pack. I want every client of mine to be able to run a marathon, which is not what someone wants to do. Someone might not want a six pack. Someone might not want to run a marathon. So absolutely love that approach. Could not emphasize that more. Thank you. I, I, yeah, I, I was lucky to learn that early on, but, and you just said it best. It's not about me as the trainer. It's about what my clients want and everything that I do. It's, it's all about them. You know, I, I will do my best to help educate them and guide them along the way, but I am not a dictator in any means. Um, all right. So when it comes to someone that might be more hesitant to doing something though, are there ways to kind of break the ice with them and then get them to maybe buy in a little bit more or someone, let's say you've got someone to buy in. Um, what do you do after that to say, let's say they're hesitant to keep going on and whatever it is. Yeah, I think it's coming down to having a conversation. So if we want to use an example of maybe the client is doing a goblet squat and they've got to the point where they're doing 30 pounds on a goblet squat and they, and the next goal for them is to get the 40 pounds and they're like, well, that's going to be heavy weights. I don't want to do that. I, I just have to dig a little bit deeper and find out why they maybe don't want to add, add more weight or what is it that's holding them back. Majority of the times there's a deeper reason and I just need to uncover it. And then from there, again, it's just going to come back to me figuring out how to, how to lay out the next progression of what I want them to do. Based on what their goals are, um, I think that's really the biggest thing because the, the tactics that I use, it, it's I, I don't know if there's anything specific in there that I can mention. Um, I mean, we're going to be doing like smart goals with, with people as much as we can, spe specific, measurable, accurate. Um, I'm blanking right now on the R. What's the R? I know the T is for time. Uh, I can't tell you right now. <laughs> I can't, I can't, right, realistic, realistic, I think. And then T is time. Uh, I think if you direct things in that manner as well, it also helps for people, you know, depending on what their goals might be. Definitely. And I think one of the things to highlight as well is that when someone comes in to train, they've already surpassed a massive hurdle. Like they've already taken the first step to come into there. So, you know, they want to take some action. So then if they could become hesitant to it, then you kind of got to question yourself. Okay. So this person was ready to come in. They were motivated to start. And now why are they hesitating now? And all of how you talk about why. Why are you becoming hesitant now? Is it something that I can help you do better? Am I not addressing your needs here? Is that why you're hesitant to continue forward? And then kind of just work with them through that and figure out whatever else is going on. Yeah. As a practitioner, I have, I have to ask that question too. Like I want to know if there's anything that I can specifically do better. Is it the way that I'm communicating these workouts? Is it, is it my approach with you? Just, I want to know what I can do better. 
I don't know if you're aware, but we also have a lot of content going alongside each episode over on our Instagram page. So if you aren't already following us there, make sure to go do so at Prevent Pod. We have a lot of content relating to each episode, including waveforms, different quotes that you can share with your friends and help us spread the message of preventive medicine. And with that, let's get back to the show. All right. So now let's switch gears a little bit from going from getting someone to start training to now during training. And as a trainer, obviously, you know a lot of exercises. You've been training people for so long. Have you seen some exercises that are more or less effective for people if they're on a time crunch or if they just don't want to commit too much time? What are the things that you're telling them to do? For the majority of my clients, the the exercises that we choose are going to consist of training a lot of muscle mass at the same time. So we're looking at probably like, like a squat, a hinge, a push, and a pull. So for the lower body, some type of squat variation, doesn't matter what it is. For the lower body, a hinge would be something like an RDL. For the upper body, a push might be like a bench press, a pull, maybe a lat pull down or a row. Um, There's elements of carrying in there as well. Maybe we're doing some farmer's walks or or things like that. But if we look at those first four exercises, we can train a lot of muscle mass with that. Even if you did those four twice a week, you would probably have amazing results. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to ask you a little bit. So from the physician side, we know that there's like standards for um, exercise, for strength training this many times a week, for doing cardio this many times a week. Is that something that trainers are also looking at? I know you've mostly trained athletes, which is going to be completely different, but for the general population for trainers, is that something they're aware of? And that's, is that something they're trying to reach or do they kind of just have their own goals? I think it depends on the level of education for the trainer. I try to spend as much time as I can looking at evidence-based practices for what I incorporate in my training. And I believe a lot of the current research shows that at least twice a week for for clients is adequate because it's more like a like a minimal effective dosage for strength training. Um, most of my clients, I think will have phenomenal results if we are lifting twice a week. And if we are producing effort, I think that effort over time is a huge component of this. So how difficult your sessions are, you know, are they exerting themselves during, during a squat, during the deadlift, whatever that might be. Um, I think with cardio, it's going to depend on the person's lifestyle. If I have somebody who is sedentary, the majority of their time at a desk or whatever they're doing for work, I'm probably going to throw some more cardio in there as well. Um, And I'd say the general recommendation for cardio is probably at least three times a week, 30 minute sessions. Definitely. And I'm going to throw another caveat onto here. I know we're talking kind of generalities, but when it comes to COVID, obviously there's a lot of restrictions that uh, people can't necessarily come in to train with a trainer. So they might have to do something at home, whether it's with their own equipment, let's say someone invested in a home gym. What are the things you'd be recommending to maybe virtual uh, clients that you can't physically take through these workouts? Yeah. I had recommended a lot of people to do body weight strength training exercises at home and performing those exercising exercises on a tempo or on a cadence. So for example, we may perform a body weight squat, but instead of that person doing a hundred reps of that body weight squat, what we would do is try to slow down that movement. I would have them maybe perform it for five seconds during the eccentric portion, which is on the way down. Then maybe in the bottom, we would pause for about two seconds. Then we would pop up. I might have somebody do that for 10 reps. So each rep lasts about seven seconds. And a lot of the research with, with 
some muscle mass shows that you have to get near failure to increase muscle mass um, or even maintain it. So like, I think the problem is if somebody's just at home and they're doing a hundred bodyweight squats, that's going to take them a long time to get to that failure or reach that threshold that they need. And if these people are pretty busy, I know that I can accomplish that same goal in 10 reps rather than a hundred reps. And then what I also, or how I also organized training for people was in a circuit fashion. So we might do something like an upper body exercise followed by a lower body exercise, followed by an ab or some type of cardio in place. And then I would have them moving through that continuously. So then they're also increasing their heart rate, which is going to give them a cardio effect as well. So I can really knock out two birds with one stone during these at-home workouts, which will save them a lot of time as well. Definitely. I think that also emphasizes and goes back to the goal-driven um, exercise selection and just coaching in general, because you're not telling someone that you need to exercise for an hour. And to fill that hour, they're going to be doing these 100 air squats, right? Instead, you're saying, I can get that same goal. And let's say this person only has 25 to 30 minutes. Let's get that same goal in that amount of time. And that way, we're uh, kind of going with that person's schedule, as well as getting the exercise in, kind of hitting all birds with one stone, as you said. And I would probably rather that approach too. I mean, I could get a really good quality session in a half hour and I will pick quality over quantity all the time. Cause again, it's going to come back to that effort. Like I, I can really give somebody uh, a difficult workout at home that they often sometimes feel is harder than what they're doing in the gym as well. Yeah. And one of the things that we kind of see with trainers that maybe gets a bad rep is that, um, they kind of just push their clients to exhaustion every single time. Their goal is to wipe out the client so that they think, Oh man, this was a fantastic workout. And they kind of just think that that is what a fantastic workout is. What are your thoughts on that? There is a time and place to push, but most people aren't going to need that amount of intensity. I, especially if somebody is just beginning a training plan, the last thing I want to do is push them to that type of intensity. I mean, there will be, if somebody's beginning a resistance training routine, there's a higher likelihood in the beginning if they train too hard that they can develop exertional rhabdomyolysis. Um, there's going to be acute rises with, with levels in, uh, of, of kidney, of, um, of other aspects with, with blood markers. That's really the last thing that I want to do when somebody's starting off with me. I take a slow, a slow cook approach. So we're slow and low, um, as we're starting to build up and I'm probably not going to push somebody to that type of intensity. Once, once they're training with me for at least probably a year. Uh, and then, and then on top of that, it'd be something that we're doing occasionally. I wouldn't even say that might be like once a week. Maybe it's like a once a month or twice a month type of approach. Exactly. And I also want to add into there, you can think of it maybe in making workouts fun as well. I know like that's part of the buy-in of making these things fun. And if someone's just pushing all out the entire time for every workout, then it simply doesn't become fun. So right now <laughs> I'm trading, uh, I'm in the market a decent amount, just looking at stocks. And it would be like taking someone who has absolutely no idea what they're doing, giving them like a hundred grand and making them trade options every day. If you guys know what those are, just completely not fun. It's just like, you feel terrible the entire time. So I don't think that's something you would want, um, to experience yourself. So I don't know why so many trainers just push that on people. I think it's just one of those things where people in society 
it's almost like coming back to the work harder, not smarter approach. Like I think if people don't feel like they're leaving the gym, like they're in a puddle of sweat lying on their back, like they, that they didn't get a good workout or they didn't accomplish something. You don't need to be sore after every workout. You don't need to feel like complete exhaustion after every workout. Um, that isn't a good indicator of progress. That doesn't mean that you are improving. So I think that's, something that hopefully will, will improve with time with, with trainers. Definitely. Now, um, training both athletes and general population people, are there any differences in coachability that you've noticed of, um, these people, this certain subset just needs like this kind of guidance to continue and then they'll kind of be self-motivated. Whereas the other group will need this kind of guidance and then they'll be self-motivated. Is, is there a difference there? <laughs> Let's let's talk more about broad because individuals there there is quite a bit of difference I think and it often occurs from sport to sport, but I think what I've realized is that in the athletic world athletes pick up movements very quickly and like I'll use the RDL as an example the RDL can be like a fairly complicated movement as far as teaching somebody what it feels like the hip hinge and oftentimes in the general pop world that lift may take a very long time. And maybe these, maybe these people that I'm working with have never been an athlete. They don't have great kinesthetic awareness, so they don't know what it, what it feels like to move their body through space. So an approach that I often take with my gen pop is to slow down movements. We do things on tempo. We do a lot of isometric movements. Uh, I have a belief that I always go static before dynamic. So an example would be like performing a movement in place before we do a movement that uh, that requires some type of dynamic nature. So if I'm training the lower body, I'm probably going to do something like a split squat where the person is just going straight up, straight down before we go into something like a lunge where they're actually moving their body through space. They're very similar patterns, but I think being in place and understanding what, what the muscles should feel before we move on is an important aspect of that. And we can accomplish that through isometric holds as well, where maybe they're just going into a position and holding for 15 or 20 seconds, but it's all about feeling that position before we go and we actually start loading it. I've just found that with athletes over the, over the years that I could just jump into the movements a lot quicker than what I have to do with the gen pop. We're still using a lot of those principles, making sure that we understand technique, but they just pick it up that much faster. Definitely. And I want to switch gears here now to something that we've kind of talked about in other episodes with healthcare practitioners. And it's one of the giant gaps that we at the podcast see and that a lot of other healthcare providers see. And that is a relationship between just healthcare providers and trainers and just uh, personal trainers, coaches, whatever it may be. There's just a massive gap. So when you look at it, physicians, oftentimes they deal with like registered dietitians, um, with like uh, nutritionists with other people within the hospital. But then when it comes to trainers, like, uh, maybe someone like yourself or even someone, let's say who's training at an LA fitness, whatever level it may be at, um, it's kind of just, you don't think about it. And that's one of the things that if we are to think about it, then these are kind of the people like yourself that are training, um, these, uh, patients for us, clients for you that are kind of like the groundwork you're setting the groundwork, helping them train with their nutrition so that they may have more uh, risk reduction for all these diseases that we treat as physicians. So what do you kind of think about this gap and how do you think that the union between these two can happen better? 
Yeah, it's it's difficult because as a practitioner, I know how important the training is for these people. And I do think that medical providers, medical professionals would love it if the patients that were coming to them were already doing the things that you guys are probably going to generally recommend anyway. Like, Hey, you're coming to me and you're, you're low on energy or you're, you're having these issues. Let's begin a strength training program twice a week. Let's, let's make sure that we're getting this aerobic activity. Well, what if the people that were coming to you were already doing these things? That would probably make your guys' jobs a whole heck of a lot easier. I would love to see a union where there is maybe some type of um, office where there's already physicians there and then a, a separate sector of that or separate side of that is the preventative side that consists of personal trainers or that consists of the nutritionist. So personal training moves into this role where it almost is a subset of the medical of the medical community where people are maybe going to their physicians and then coming and getting recommended or referred out to us. And I think you can also attach that model to physical therapy where trainers are now aligning themselves with physical therapists, where maybe somebody is going to a physical therapist, they're doing their rehab for six to 12 weeks, whatever that might be. Then they know that they need to continue that program after. Well, hey, we're attached to this personal training brand here that knows exactly what you need to be doing Let's get started and making sure that you're continuing to train with them. I think one of those two options would be ideal for creating a better union. Definitely. I would love to be able to prescribe personal training for a patient instead of just like uh, always having dried off like physical therapy when someone gets injured. I want to say personal uh, physical therapy followed by personal training for X amount of weeks so that we can get this done right now. That's just not a thing. I don't know why it's not a thing. Obviously I'm not at the level to know why it's not a thing, but I would absolutely love it. And, uh, my mentor, um, Dr. Aslan Tariq, who's been on the show in uh, season one, he actually has a practice that he owns. That's very similar where he is kind of there as the sports medicine, regenerative medicine kind of guy. Um, he has a nutritionist in house and he also has two personal trainers in house. And it's all kind of just one facility where the a patient comes in, a person comes in, they're kind of taken um, care of from all aspects. Obviously, I'd love to add some more members to that healthcare team there, such as getting maybe a primary care physician in there so we can address more medical needs outside from just musculoskeletal health. But I think the team approach that you're mentioning there is very vital and it's something that we need to work towards a little bit more. Right now, when you think of team, when it comes to healthcare, you think of like your nurses, your physicians, physical therapists, and that's probably, and then like a nutritionist, maybe registered dietitian. You don't typically think of any other people, but when you like in the bigger picture, personal trainers are doing a lot for that team and needs to be a bigger part. Yeah, I agree. And, and I understand that. I, I think it's maybe there's like costs associated with it, but maybe that's something that also comes with insurance as well. Maybe personal training can be a part of insurance plans in the future. Um, but I just think that people need us for the accountability aspect as well. There's so much free information out there and that's not the problem. They can go on the web, they can find out all this information, but it's the implementation and the accountability piece that can really help people. And I don't think they need to be doing it with us forever, but there are so many aspects that can be confusing that if somebody just takes the time to learn, it can totally change their approach to training and thus change their health as well. 
Definitely. And I wanted to ask you just from your perspective, are there any questions you would have for a physician that's kind of maybe in a primary care role of when it comes to like someone's health? Because um, on my primary care rotation, a lot of what we ended up doing was, okay, we manage this person's medications for their like chronic conditions. But then at the end of every single encounter, it was like, um, okay, but are you exercising? What's your diet like? And it's just kind of those general lifestyle factors. So are there any questions that you might have for a physician in that position? Like uh, something that you might want them to add, something that you're asking them, what are you guys recommending? How can my work be better? Yeah, I think the main one for me would be like, what are the potential barriers that you see that these people are saying why they, why they aren't performing training? Because I'm guessing that there has to be something that's holding them back. And then how can trainers continue to help them overcome those barriers. If it is, if it is fear of, of exercising or how to do an exercise properly or what to do, there are more than enough qualified trainers out there who are very kind, professional individuals who would love these, who would love to help these people out. Um, so I'd love to just hear about like what these people think about personal trainers slash what's holding them back. And if it's not going to a personal trainer, then what is something that these people like, why aren't they performing the activity in their everyday life? Is it the fact that they're too busy? So I, I think if I can just hear what is going on behind the, from, from the doctor's point of view, I think would be amazing. And it'd be a huge help to us. Yeah. And I haven't heard a doctor specifically like ever mentioned, have you considered getting a personal trainer? Have you sought coaching at any point? For some reason that just doesn't seem to the vocabulary. I don't know why that is. I don't want to point any fingers anywhere, but um, I think that's a very valid question of from yourself asking, why don't physicians recommend it more? Why don't they say, here's an avenue. If it's the accountability, if that's the issue for you getting to the gym, then why not? There's personal trainers. This is like exactly what they're here for as you already described. So why not? So excellent question there. Thank you. And um, so we're getting close to uh, the end of this podcast. And one of the things that we always like to ask is a applicable aspect to people um, that they can take away from this. And we take that in the form of our coffee shop question. So let's say you are at Starbucks. You just got your order and uh, they're working on it. You got two minutes and someone comes up to you. It's like, hey, that's Ryan Nosek. Um, how do I get uh, healthier? What do you tell them in the two minutes? I'm going to tell them to find a movement practice that they enjoy and that they can continue for multiple times a week for the rest of their life. I'm going to tell them to get at least 8,000 steps on the, in their everyday life outside of what they're doing in the gym. Um, I'm going to tell them to eat a diet that consists mostly of whole foods that are unprocessed, sleep seven to nine hours a night and find some type of mindfulness practice that they enjoy. There you go. Nice and succinct. Is there anything else you want to add that you really want people to know that we didn't get to talk about on this podcast? No, I, I think this has been awesome. Um, I think if there are people out here, professionals that are listening to personal trainers, or you, you know, you're interested in learning more about what personal trainers are doing, I think the field of personal training is going to continue to get better, going to, to continue to get more educated. There are a lot of like-minded professionals like myself who are always trying to learn evidence-based practices. We're spending a ton of time with continuing education opportunities. So we're not just rep counters out there who 
just want to look good with our shirts off, right? Like we're in this to, to be <laughs> preventative medicine professionals and we want to do all we can to help the medical community. Definitely. I hope that more people end up like you with that same mindset. Uh, I think the world will be a much better place. Thank you. We're going to have all of your links for your website and whatnot already on the show notes, but is there anything else you want to shout out before we end this episode? Yeah. If you want to give me, yeah, just if you want to follow me, I'm pretty active on social media on Instagram. My handle is ryan.nozak. Uh, and like you said, I have my website, rhinostrength.com and uh, that's it. Perfect. Thank you once again for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Hey everyone, this is Raghav. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Preventive Medicine Podcast. If you want more content and to join in on the conversation, find us on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram at PreventPod. That's P-R-E-V-E-N-T-P-O-D. Thank you for listening and we'll see you on the next one.